I want to talk this morning about how good a father we have in heaven and what it's like to be a child of God. So the song choice, which we didn't, it's like we, we, we arranged it. Where's Mark? I can't remember. Where's, where's, there you are. It's like we arranged it, but I never even asked him anything. But um, it is, I want to talk about how good God is because he's a good father, isn't he? A really good, good God. We serve a good God. And Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this. And I'll turn to it so I don't get it wrong. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Have we got the same version? I think so, good. To believe in God, you have to believe that he exists, that he is there and, there's an and, and, he is a rewarder to those who seek him. You have to believe that he exists and he is a rewarder to those who seek him. What's that mean? He is a good, good father who loves to give gifts to his children. It's believing in the very character and nature of God. So if you're over here and you're only believing that God exists, James says in the, in the book of James, in the Bible, that faith will not save you. It says this, even the demons believe that God exists and they shudder. Have a thought of this, the devil's probably got more faith about the power of God than you have. He's seen it firsthand. He's got, he's, you know, his understanding of the power of God is far greater probably than ours. Have you noticed atheists? I mean, I, I listen to Richard Dawkins. I do, because I, I listen to those discussions. And, you know, sometimes he's drawn into, um, well, maybe there, there is a God, but if there was a God, he would be horrible. And that's often a, a very atheist argument, that if there is a God, that he's a really bad God, who hates people, who's cruel. Yeah, I don't want to believe in a God like that either. And believing in a God like that is, isn't faith that saves you. You have to believe that God is a good God or you've missed the point. You've got to believe that God is a good father who loves to give gifts to his children, who when you come to him for a loaf of bread, he doesn't give you a stone. That is saving faith. Let's put it in terms of healing. So I'm over here and I believe in that God exists. And I believe that God can heal. That's not healing faith God could heal me if he wanted to isn't enough it's God could want me to heal me if he wanted to and I know he wants to I know that his plans and purposes for me are so much greater than my own that he cares for me so much that he actually wants me better more than I want me better that when I come to him with a problem it's not just oh God do you know about this he wants an answer to that problem more than I do so when I'm praying for healing it's not is there a power for God to heal me it is do I believe God will heal me and that's what gets us over from in, into faith is this, I believe that my God is so good that he will do immeasurably good things to me. That's the God we believe in. I believe in a good, good father. If you're here this morning and you, and you don't know if, if God exists, well, 
I hope you will leave knowing that God exists, but more than that, I hope that you realize that the God we serve loves for you, cares for you. He even sent his son to die for you. That's how much he loves you, that he bankrupted heaven just so that you could have a relationship with him. He's not a bad God. He's a loving God and a loving father. And he's decided to have you and adopt you as his children into his household. Hmm. Good, good father. So I think sometimes, have you ever spent too much on your credit card? And I know this is probably a bygone age, and the letter from the credit card company lands on your mat. <laughs> it does. And you just leave it there on the mantelpiece unopened because you don't want to see what's inside. Because as long as it's inside, it hasn't affected me yet. I don't want to open it up. That's what it's like when you believe that God is a bad God. You don't want to open up the envelope to see what's inside. You'd rather say he doesn't exist or he doesn't care about me, I want to put him over there somewhere. I encourage you this morning, let's open that envelope. Let's open that bill. Let's open that demand from the council and see what's actually inside of it. <coughs> Turn with me to, if you've got a Bible, if you're not, don't worry, it'll come up on the screen, to Romans 8. And let's go from verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are his children. And if children, heirs also, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we should all be glorified with him. Let's leave the suffering bit out of the way this morning because it's going to take a lot to do that. So let's just ignore it, it's there. That's what we do anyway, isn't it, normally? Uh, just to skip over the bits you don't like. Um, when I've read this verse before, and, I, and it's sometimes, you know, the way, way you have your translations, the meaning doesn't come there. There's just like big words in there. Well, the big words for me anyway. Big words, I don't quite grasp them. I'm struggling to read it myself. And then you kind of miss the meaning. See, I used to read that verse and, and think, right, so Jesus has got all this amazing stuff. He is the name above all other names. Hebrew says he has the whole world. God gave him everything that exists becomes to Jesus. And out of this massive thing that Jesus has, he takes a little portion of it and he goes over here and gives it to me because I'm a co-heir with Christ. But that's not what it means. That's not what co-heir means. That doesn't, that's not what fellow heir means because it could also be translated joint or equal. Equal heir. Let that blow your mind. I haven't, I haven't got around it yet. Equal heir with Christ. What did Christ have? He has the whole world. Jesus went to, to, to hell and he got all authority and all power and then he says to his apostles this all authority and power I have I give to you how much has he got all of it how much does he give us all of it 
Listen to it in the, in the Passion Translation. I've just got into the Passion Translation. It's brilliant. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. Wow. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. What Jesus brought for you on the cross is not just a, a pass into heaven, but it's a pass into all that he has and all that he is. Don't worry, I don't get it either. It's like it's one of those verses where you just go, you just have to read it and read it and read it and read it because really? All of the heaven and earth is mine. The riches, the health, the finance is mine. You see, when you open the envelope from God, it says this, sin paid in full. And underneath it, it says, and this is your inheritance. And we're leaving that envelope on the mat because we're scared of what's in it. And yet we serve a good, good father who wants you to understand and open your inheritance and understand what God has done for you. He doesn't want you to, to shy away and hide because out of fear. Instead, he's welcoming you in. Come on, I want to share the world with you. All power and all authority have been given to me and I want to give them to you. And how do we get it? If a child, you're an heir. If you're a child, you're an heir. If you're a child of God, you're an heir of God. What's that mean? That means it doesn't matter how well I did at school. It doesn't matter if I was a good boy or a bad boy when I was growing up. My inheritance is there. My inheritance is due to me for one thing only. God is my father. That is my qualification. What is my qualification for healing this morning? God is my father. It's not relevant on my identity and what I've done. It's all relevant on him. I haven't earned it. Inheritance you don't earn. You just get because you have a good, good father. And our father is not only good, he's all powerful. What does that word child, because, because you know in, in the Greek it's a bit more in depth than child. It's translated as, as this, anyone living in full dependence of the heavenly father. Think what Jesus said, you, can only, if you have to be like a little child to enter the kingdom or to inherit the kingdom. Didn't mean like a nine year old, didn't, because that was an older child. They were adults at 12, men, a toddler or even younger than that. Think of a baby when it's born. Can't feed itself, can't clothe itself, can't clean itself, can't protect itself. A baby is absolutely dependent fully on its parents. This is our inheritance. If we are fully dependent on Father, heaven is completely open to us. It also means this, my DNA comes from his DNA. So the whole gospel is, are we born again? New creations, that whole thing. We died on the cross, we died as Jesus died. 
That's what the Bible says. And then we were raised up with him into a new life. That means I am a new creation. That means my DNA is no longer the DNA of my earthly parents. It's my DNA of my heavenly father. So what's my heavenly father like? Well, he's loving. He's full of peace. He's all powerful. He's forgiving. All the riches of heaven are available to those who are fully dependent on father. Now, has anyone had any embarrassing parents? Sorry, Dad, if you listen to it. He sometimes does listen to these. (laughs) But my dad can be embarrassing. And you know, Leslie keeps saying to me, you're turning into your dad. You're turning into your dad. (laughs) And I start to hear the way I laugh, the way I give comments, and it's just like, even even the stuff I didn't want to take from him, I've I've seemed to have inherited. (laughs) And it's just like that with your heavenly father. Just by being in his presence, just being brought up by him, just by being in his DNA, you just start to become more and more like him. See, I view the world by by a lens. But when I start to look at that God is my lens, Who am I? I'm made in the image of God. I'm made as a child of God. Then suddenly, my thoughts are different. So if I'm fully dependent on him, this is how it goes. My thoughts are dependent on his thoughts. My actions are dependent on his actions. The way I love is dependent on the way he loves me. The way I forgive is dependent on the way he forgives me. The way... I am generous to someone is dependent on how he is generous to me. When we allow the love of God to define who we are, we step into the fullness of heaven. You see, we we have love God, love others. Do you know you can't do that? Love God, love others sums up the law. Who knows you can't do the law? You are never good enough to do it. But when... When you are dependent on his love, suddenly you can love like he did. We only love him because he loved us first. It's not about how much I love him, it's about how much he loves me and how I let his love transform me. What's it mean to believe in God, to have faith in him, to trust what he says about us is true? You see, pride is to believe my own opinion. Humility is to believe his opinion. So when he says I'm holy and blameless, how do I view myself as a wicked, non-for-good who's just mucked up again and and caused a problem here and gotten into debt there and and caused an issue in that relationship over there and said something nasty to that person? Or do I view myself as holy and blameless? Because that's God's opinion on me. Do I I view myself as wicked and useless and rubbish or do I view myself through God's eyes who bankrupted heaven to buy me? There was a, did anyone remember when Jane Elliott came to to Hull, uh, brown eyes, blue eyes woman? For those who don't, uh, there's this lady called Jane Ellen. She was a teacher in America, and she did an experiment on a classroom, and, and you won't get away with it today, but she did it anyway. Um, she was convinced that the best way to tackle the problem of, of racism 
was with the very young. So she divided her all-white children into two groups based on eye colour. She told the blue-eyed children that they were superior to the brown-eyed classmates. And she told the brown-eyed who had to wear identifying colours that they were less intelligent and poorly behaved. Now, there was many things that happened as part of this experiment, but as an educator at the time, this part of the information caught my attention. As the day went on, intelligent children with brown eyes who usually answer questions stopped putting up their hands to offer answers. And there was blue-eyed children who didn't normally put their hands up to offer answers, who started to get confidence and started to put their hands up and started to do well. And the brown-eyed children's work went down and the blue-eyed children's work, I mean, went, went, went up. The next day, she reversed the experiment, saying that she got the information wrong. Again, the behaviour of the children changed, all because how they saw themselves. High attainers with blue eyes dipped performance, and brown eyed students who produced poor work started to take pride in their work. Social dynamics also took place. Eye colours stuck together, and the intelligent group would dominate the other. But what is my point? A child's behaviour is shaped by how they view themselves. Tell a kid they're a failure. I tell them enough. Guess what? They'll probably be a failure. Tell a kid they're amazing. Words have power. Tell her. You see, when we see ourselves holy and blameless, we will walk holy and blameless. When we see ourselves as victims, we will walk as a victim. But when we see ourselves as victors, we will walk as a victor with our head held high. So when I, and I was teaching, it used to sadden me because there were certain individuals you'd see in the school and you just knew they were going to get bullied. Didn't matter which, if I took them out of that class and put them in this class. I'm not saying all, but you know, it didn't matter for certain individuals I took them out of this class or that class because the way they held themselves, the way they taught, you just knew they're going to get bullied. We need to stop walking like victims and posture ourselves as strong, courageous, brave children of God. I found when, when, I was, when I was youth pastor, I, I oversaw the most holy bunch of teenagers I've ever witnessed. And yet I didn't really teach them much about what not to do. Didn't teach much on morals. What did I teach them? Who you are in Christ. That you're a child of the king. That when you're a prince or a princess of the God most high, what happens? Your head starts to rise. You start to carry yourself in a different way. You start to see obstacles as just things to overcome rather than barriers. You start to walk differently, talk differently. And then you'll be going down the road and there's some behaviour and some stuff which is just left in the gutter, some sinful stuff. And do you know what? When you've got your head held high, that's beneath me. I don't want to get my royal robes dirty. I'm not going to get involved in the gutter. I'm not going to get involved in that, in that activity. Why? Because I am better than that. But when you tell someone that's where you belong, and that's what the devil tells you, you belong in that gutter. Whereas God says, no, I created you in my likeness. I created you to do good. I created you as a masterpiece. 
How much, devil has, how much power has the devil got? Just as much as you give him. It's the biggest con man out. <laughs> biggest con man. He just convinces you he's got more power than he has. He takes it from you. So how does God view you? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The old is gone and the new has come. Mark, can you give me some pads? Real. Wherever you sat today, know this, the old has gone. The old has gone and the new has come. What you were is no longer the case. You are the new creation. You are born again. You are a child of the king. Or about this one, Ephesians 4.24. Put on the new self. You are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Or put it this way. See yourself in a new way. God has created you to make things right and to live pure. Don't believe the lie that you were created to do things wickedly. Don't believe the lie that you have been created to cause problems. No, He's created you as a new creation to make things right and to be pure. Ephesians 1 verse 4, God sees you as homely as blameless. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're not created to do bad stuff. You're not created to fail. You're not created to get things wrong. God has put you and it's like he's got his, his own art gallery in, in heaven and he's putting it on earth as well and he's going there are my children absolute masterpieces and we look at ourselves and think oh, I've got this wrong I've got spots I'm bald or maybe you're not bald but I am and going through all these things about what's wrong with us and God is saying you are my masterpiece how dare you call what I've created bad how dare you, you call what I've created as wicked? You are my masterpiece. No longer are you wicked. No longer are you dirty. You are clean and pure and righteous. Matthew 5 verse 14 says this, You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Don't hide God. Don't hide. God wants to show you off. Now I come across some very interesting people. I, I won't tell, give you too many details because you may know who they are, but there was someone who used to come to this church and uh, their life was a mess and, and they caused lots of problems for me. And they've moved on to another church and they've just been chucked out of that church because they're causing a whole load of mess and problems in that church as well. <laughs> they, are, they are not who I would choose to say, hey, that's God's masterpiece. But every time I meet him, the annoying thing is, he gives me a prophetic word which is absolutely bang on. <laughs> At least the first minute of it, I think after that he just waffles, but the first minute of it is just like, wow, how did he know that? 
You see, I may view this guy as a problem, <laughs> to be honest. As, as someone I don't want to be associated with my faith because I'm embarrassed that people think he's a Christian. But God isn't. God's put him on that pedestal and going, that's my boy. Light of the world, holy and blameless, masterpiece. Others may say otherwise, but I think you're amazing. Philippians 2 verse 15 says this, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 5 says this, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. 